one of the first indications that the Christmas season is upon us seems to be lights. You walk into church, twinkling lights. I drove into Frisco, and all the lampstands were uh, filled with spiral of colorful lights. I walked down to Old South Pearl Street, and the trees were filled with twinkling lights. It's at this time of year, we seem to have lights on houses and candles and windows. There's just this radiance everywhere. It's like the world is wrapped in a million stars. And it makes sense because December 25th follows the longest night, the darkest days of the year. But lights are not just decorative, they are also symbolic. The emphasis on light in darkness comes from an understanding that followers of Christ have. It is this belief that our world's hope comes from outside of this world. So today we're going to talk about hope, and we're going to talk about the opposite of hope, which is despair. The scriptures say the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Today we're going to talk about dark and light and hope. So first let's talk about dark. How is our world dark? In the scriptures, the word darkness often refers to evil and ignorance. It means that the world is filled with evil and untold suffering. I mean, at the time of Jesus' birth, there was great violence. There was injustice. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was abuse of power, homelessness. There were refugees fleeing oppression, families being ripped apart, bottomless grief. Sounds a lot like our world today, doesn't it? A couple of economists from Princeton have coined a new phrase that has gained some traction, and the phrase is uh, being used to describe something in our world. They're calling it the diseases of despair. If the opposite of hope is despair, People are noticing that diseases of despair are on the rise. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention in our world um, has noted, we have gone through more than three years now where the life expectancy rate in the U.S. has declined. That has not happened for more than a century. And it is not because of heart disease, and it is not because of cancer. Those deaths are actually down. The causes of death that are soaring, drug abuse connected to the opioid crisis, alcohol-related deaths, and suicide. They are calling these three the diseases of despair. In the last 20 years, deaths to these causes have tripled. You could say we and our children are dying from a lack of hope. So by the way, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) No, but seriously, in Western society, um, marriage rates and birth rates have declined, and sociologists say that that happens when there is a lack of hope. We outgrow a lot of stuff, but we do not outgrow our need for hope. 
We are never too old to need hope. The scriptures say about Jesus that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, most of us are in agreement the world can be a dark place. Most people would say they have even experienced personally seasons and times of despair. But we do not agree on the solution to that problem. Very often what happens is we will look to human resources to fix the problems in the world. We look to experts, we look to gurus, we look to scholars, we look to politicians for solutions to our lack of hope. And all of these will say, yeah, things are dark and we can overcome it ourselves. Some people will say we need to look more to the state. Some people will say we need to look more to the market. Some people say we need to look more to medicine. Everybody seems to say let's look more to technology to solve our problems. And yet, all of those approaches share the same assumption, which is this. Things are dark, and we can end the darkness with enough intellect and innovation. If together, we just come together with enough smarts and enough innovation, we can end the problems of despair. Uh, in his book, A Hidden Christmas, author Tim Keller references a New York Times article from a few years ago. And in that New York Times article, the author said this, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, like, the light is within us. So we're the ones who can dispel the darkness. Like, we can overcome poverty and injustice and violence and evil. If we work together, we can create a world of unity and peace. But the message of Christmas, the message of Advent, in many ways is the exact opposite of that. The message of Advent, the message of Christmas, is not that we will be able to pull together a world of unity and peace. Rather, it is the message that says humanity cannot save itself. Like there is no political system or ideology or philosophy or psychology that can fix human problems. In a way, Christmas is like the least sentimental holiday when you look at it that way, most realistic, least sentimental. The message of Christmas is both pessimistic and optimistic because it says, yes, the world is dark. And we cannot fix it ourselves. And there is hope because a light has dawned. The true message of Christmas never says, like, cheer up, everybody. If we pull together, we can make this world a better place. The teaching of Jesus never says, if you try hard enough, we can fix things. The message of Christmas says, things really are that bad. And we cannot heal or save ourselves. Things really are that dark. Nevertheless, there is hope because a light has dawned. 
The message of Christmas is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. Notice it does not say, from this world, a light has sprung. It is from outside this world that a light has dawned. The light has come from outside this world. Jesus brought this light to save us. Jesus himself is that light. So there's dark, and there's light, and there's hope. Now often, I don't know about you, but I think about hope kind of like an idea. Hope is an idea, or, you know, you have it or you don't have it. But this Advent, I wonder if we might think about hope more as a practice. Something that we practice. That we could actually practice hope in the face of a dark world. We just got back from a week in Wisconsin. Our family went there for Thanksgiving. And while we were in the frozen tundra, we decided we would go see Frozen 2, the movie. So we did that, and there's a fabulous scene in that new movie about practicing hope. One of the main characters, Anna, literally finds herself in a dark cave full of despair. Literally in the darkness, surrounded by darkness. She has lost everything that is important to her. She is full of despair. And in that cave and in that despair, she begins to practice hope, and, um, and she begins to sing like only a Disney princess can do in the middle of a moment like that. But she, uh, she starts talking about putting one foot in front of the other, which to me is a picture of practicing hope. She talks about doing the next right thing, and I'll just let you hear from her on this. This is from Frozen 2. Let's take a look. I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold, this is empty, this is numb. The life I knew is over, the lights are out. Hello darkness, I'm ready to succumb. I follow you around, I always have. But you've gone to a place I cannot find. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. But a tiny voice whispers in my mind. You are lost. Hope is gone. But you must go on and do the next right thing. Can there be a day beyond this night? I don't know anymore what is true. Can't find my direction, I'm all alone. The only star that guided me was you. 
Sometimes practicing hope is to take a step, and to take a step. And maybe the next right thing is to take a walk, to turn off the news, to walk away from that conversation, to cook yourself a healthy meal, to reach out to a friend. Practicing hope is about taking that next step, Sometimes that is all that we can do. Now, there is a difference, and we've talked about this before. There's a difference between hoping for something and hoping in something. You know, when I say, what are you hoping for, probably some things come to mind. When I think about what my son, who's eight, Russell, is hoping for this Christmas, he's hoping for a shark tooth. My daughter, Lila, who's six, is hoping for a dollhouse. I am hoping that our road trip with my parents is fun and stress-free. <laughs> like, we have things we're hoping for, right? I mean, when you are first born, you're hoping for security and a family, and then you go to school, and you're hoping to make the grade and get the mark, and then a little bit later, maybe you're like, I hope he asks me out, or I hope he doesn't ask me out. And then you're, you know, oh, I hope to get married, or I hope to get a house, I hope to get kids in the house, and then I hope to get kids out of the house, I hope to retire, I hope the nursing home is as fun as college, <laughs> right? We have the things that we hope for. Hoping for is one thing. Hoping for things, circumstantially, is different than hoping in. Hoping in is much deeper than hoping for. Simone Weil said this, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. The deeper question for you and I is, what is my hope in? Not just what am I hoping for circumstantially, but what is my hope in? When everything looks dark, when I am in that cave like Anna, 
and despair is closing in, what is my hope in? Sometimes we sing a song around here. The words say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You can either hope for something circumstantially or you can hope in something eternal. Hope as a practice is about rehearsing the promises of God. We can rehearse the promises of God even from the cave. You know, so very often in the Bible, we see people, circumstantially, they are in a dark cave. All throughout the Bible, we meet people who are in the midst of the most terrible circumstances. I mean, think about God's people. They're wandering around in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus. They're wandering around. They are so miserable, they would rather go back to Egypt and be slaves than to continue wandering. Yet what do they do? Step, step, step. The next right thing. And little do they know what God is about to do in and through them. And then a little bit later in the Bible, you meet a, you meet a boy. And he comes up against Goliath. And when we come up against a Goliath, we are tempted to despair. But David... Step, step, step. And little does he know what God is about to do in the midst of that terrible set of circumstances. A little bit later, you've got a guy. Everything looks very promising for him. Things are going really well. His name is Joseph. And then he ends up in the pit, in a cave, in prison. And it looks like the end. But God is not done. He is going to raise him up to be like the prime minister of the land. And then you've got Esther. And Esther, I mean, things, it looks like she's going to be annihilated and done. Looks like it's the end for her. But she does just the next right thing. And little does she know what God is going to do to not just save her, but all the people through her. Desmond Tutu says, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. And the scriptures have all of these stories about people. The scriptures have so much to say about what we put our hope in. See, when your hope is in something other than Jesus, then what you tend to do with Jesus is try to use Jesus to get that thing that you want. Like if your hope is for fame and fortune, you will pray to God to give you that. You will attempt to use your faith to leverage that. If your hope is in security and safety, you will pray to God to give you that. If your hope is in a political system, you'll attempt to use God to get your agenda done. See, the problem with religion is sometimes the way of Jesus gets like co-opted by a way of power or popularity, or pleasure, or politics, where in the name of Jesus, we pursue other kingdoms. We hope for things rather than hoping in the one who holds all things. But when your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, then your hope is in a treasure that can never perish, can never spoil, 
can never fade, kept in heaven for you. See, to hope in Christ is to hope in this kingdom that's unseen. The kingdom of God is not in trouble. When you live in that kingdom, you are not in trouble either. To hope in Jesus is to hope in a way that it appears upside down to this world. To hope in God is to hope in, in a past, personally, that is forgiven. To hope in God's presence that is always in the present. To hope in a future that is secure. The way of Jesus always leads to hope, not in what we can do, but what God has done and what God has, is doing. It has already begun and it will come to full fruition in the end. In, in the darkness, a light has dawned. And it has come from outside. Jesus has brought it. Jesus is that light. This is why the writers of scripture can say things like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mystery, he's given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this Advent, what if we were to not think about hope so much as just an idea, like you either have it or you don't? But what if instead we were to think of hope as a practice? We practice hope together. We wait on the Lord in hope. Do you know the word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus? And when it's translated into the Greek, it is actually talking about the second coming of Christ. So this season, it's not mostly about just looking back. It is mostly about looking ahead. That Christ has come and Christ is coming again. And when he does, he will make all things right. And everything sad will come untrue. So while we remember his first coming in Bethlehem, we look forward in hope to his second coming, the renewal of all things. When the darkness and the suffering, it will not just be removed, it will be reversed, it will be healed, it will be made new. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is our hope. It is the hope that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That is what we celebrate as we come to the table now. Let's pray together as we close. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.